I have to tell you about the funny story that happened at the calling. I'm playing my game and the person, the natch next to me, I just overhear their dialogue because you have two very distinct types of people. So there's friendly guy who's mm-hmm. just being friendly, just having a conversation at a tournament. Uh-huh. And then there is all business guy who just can only think about the tournament and the game. Uh-huh. So for instance, friendly guy's like, how's your day going? And business guy goes, well, we're X and O. So, and he's not like rude about it. Yeah. He just doesn't, his context is different. Mm-hmm. So that conversation goes through several iterations of questions. Eventually the friendly guy just goes, all right, so what heroes have you played against today? Uh, which is the most innocent question ever in flesh and blood, but whatever. Cause you reveal your deck before you play. <laughs> and serious guy goes, wow, you're really checking me out, huh? Kind of friendly, but I didn't like how he said, uh-huh. but friendly guy pauses and goes, you want to go out with me? <laughs> <laughs> and I died. <laughs> the table next to them, like on the other side of them, also died laughing. <laughs> and it was, and at that point, the serious guy could no longer keep being Maintain serious. And he, he finally, yeah. you know, cracked. Uh, and it was just great. It That's was by good. far the best response I've ever heard to anything like that. That's really cute. <laughs> i man that guy's response was just so good i was impressed you're just trying to have a good time you know yeah that like five and oh or whatever and it sounds like he was yeah good for him i hope he won (laughs) i started paying attention to my own stuff after that yeah that makes sense (laughs) one of the more interesting things from these challenge results is that sometimes bone crusher is an instant and sometimes it's a creature in the same dump, sometimes in it shows Wizards up. Site. Yeah, yeah, it's that's been a problem for like every set release. It's just a creature or an instant, and it flip flops between the two. Yeah, and then every set release, it like breaks it again once they finally fix it mid set release. I've, I've seen it where it's like all the brazen borrowers are instants, and all the bone crusher giants are creatures. <laughs> creatures, yeah. But I haven't seen it in one single dump where sometimes it is an instant, and sometimes it's a creature. The Moto algorithm is just so smart now that, you know, in addition to pairing you against your worst matchup at all times, mm-hmm. it will determine whether your deck uses Bone Crusher Giant more as an instant or as a creature. <laughs> they they really put a lot of work advanced into the Moto technology, algorithm, yeah. and they don't get a lot of return out of it, which is super disappointing. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing more Motoing. Just because I have to, because there's no other way to play a bunch of Pioneer. How's it been going? It's been going fine. I don't know. I've been trying lots of decks. I I enjoy Pioneer. I don't enjoy doing Moto. Like, I don't enjoy having to rent my deck before every play session and, like, then remember to return it, which I think I didn't remember last time, so I need to do that. The process is just so cumbersome and awful, and there's no good alternative, obviously, but... I just hate it. It's just like a stressful, annoying experience. Like there's these barriers that are up before you get to play any magic. And I also hate that like we still don't have deck codes. So people just post pictures of decks and then you have to go manually make them if you're trying to like copy somebody's deck. And it's just 
Like Hearthstone had deck codes from like maybe not day one, but it's had deck codes. No, it, they did. Okay, but it, Hearthstone has had deck codes for years and years and years, and I guess from day one. And it's just like why? How can oh, wait? No, I guess it wasn't day one because yeah. I remember you had to like there were programs that made the deck for you. Yeah, so I but I think they implemented that. I mean, it's been around it for forever quickly. now. Yeah, and it's just such an obvious piece of technology to implement, and like that little bit. It's like. So my my startup for, okay, time to play a Pioneer League with this deck that I saw is go find the tweet with the deck in it, which I probably bookmarked, open up the deck image, open up Moto, search for each individual card name and add it to my deck, which takes like a while. Once I have the deck built, then I need to export it in order to rent it, go to a website to rent the deck wait for a bot to like trade request me trade for the cards accept it go back to my deck right click and use versions in collection and now i can join the league it's like that just took like 15 minutes i hate it i hate it so much yep that's why i just don't do deal with it like it's too much it's like the only way to practice and it's garbage yep i just want a better way but there just isn't one (laughs) There will not be one. Nope. There was a tweet circulating earlier where someone was asking just all their buddies if we could just please test on Cockatrice. Yes. Just because, you know, Dominaria or Brothers War is not going to be available to test online before the RC. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to get like a hybridization of like getting people used to that and just not wanting just to be not with dealing online. with it. Yeah. And they just just couldn't do it. Everyone said no. Yeah. I'll do it with you, mystery person. Yeah, I don't remember who it was. But yeah, it's just not a pleasant experience. Like every time I play any other game, it's just like start up the game, start playing the game. And I just wish that was the experience for this. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 262 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castro-Rappel, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. I I let you down this weekend. Oh, did you? By not winning Flesh and Blood Nationals? Or No, I, I knew you wouldn't judge me based on that, no. But uh, and I didn't play Nationals, I played the calling. Oh, okay. I don't know what's going on in that game. It's fine, but... When I played in the calling, I was deep in day two and I lost a really close game that went down to the wire. In fact, we were like so close to out of time. My opponent just said, eh, I hope you don't have it. We're running out of time and just like went for a risky play and I didn't have it. So I died. Mm-hmm. But then when we were reporting the match, he's like, Lee McLeod, why does that sound familiar? And I forgot to mention the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's okay. I forgive you. That person's probably already checked out of Magic anyways, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. I just said I played a bunch of Magic, you know. It was probably from there. Yeah, that's fine. Didn't advertise the podcast to the Flesh and Blood tournament I mean, if they were aware of it from the podcast, then they're already aware of the podcast. And if not, then they... They're not going to tune in. Right. A person I played against in a different game does a podcast is not a compelling reason to listen to it, so... I don't know. I was a pretty good opponent. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) 
Well, on the off chance that they do play Magic, didn't know about the podcast, knew your name from somewhere, we may have potentially lost a single listener, but probably not. Yeah, that one's on me. Okay, well, I'll take it out of your check. Uh, Okay. So today we are going to go over, uh, as always, Pioneer results from this past weekend, and then the main topic for the episode, we're going to do something a little bit different rather than go into any specific format or deck or anything like that. We're going to go into kind of tournament preparation generally, our thoughts on how to get ready for a tournament and especially going to focus on the RCQ tournament experience and prep for that because we are just heading into RCQ season number two. I am excited to talk about that. Main thing I do with my time these days is just like go to tournaments on the weekends when they are around and I think we'll have some helpful thoughts. I don't always follow these rules, but I know that I should. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is a little bit of do as I say, not as I do. Maybe we'll we'll get there, but uh, I don't know. Look, so if you want to win, there's like very clear steps you can take. And me personally, I'm just not at the point, especially for RCQ season, like the way these things have been going. I'm just not really interested in participating. So... I'm not going to follow this to the letter, but that doesn't mean it's not a good idea to do if you want to win. Yes. But before we get to that, let us go through the Pioneer results for this past weekend. Uh, Really just the two challenges. Uh, I know there was an NRG tournament as well, so maybe you should have pulled that up, but uh, did not quite add that to our grid. I'll think about that in the future, which of these other tournament series and, and other things should make an appearance on our like lists of top eights and stuff like that. The only one that I know is that Jesse top eighted with mono white humans. So keeping that in mind slightly, but just going to do our normal thing of taking a look at the challenges to get an idea of what's going on in the format Saturday, you know, not too crazy. Our top eight was two Rakdos midrange, a Bant Spirits, two Mono Greens, Grease Fang making another appearance in the top eight, and then slightly crazy, a, a big surprise with Niv to Light winning the whole thing. First appearance at all in any of these challenges in any spot of Niv to Light uh, since the rotation. Kind of a new one, a new old one. Well, it, yeah, it's an old one, but the the player who did it was Claudio, mm-hmm. who is who's dialed a pioneer in. master. Yeah. So uh, once you think about it a little bit, it's not super surprising uh, because, like, I mean, <laughs> Rakdos midrange is all over this challenge. Uh, it's got, what, 11 in the top 32 and five in the top. Oh, that's that's Is Sunday. That oh, that's Sunday. I'm looking at the wrong one. So it was everywhere on Sunday. Yeah, but it's also everywhere all the time. But it is everywhere all the time. <laughs> there are 11 in this top 32, I believe. Still. And then two in the top eight. Yeah. yeah. And then when you when your most popular deck by far is this red black mid range deck, mm-hmm. one of the better things to do is just play a hard a hard to interact with bigger mid range deck, and that's what Nip as it is. Yes, uh, you just need to make sure that you're not letting yourself get run over by like their fable of the mirror breaker draws. Just have defenses against that, and then your end game is very strong. I mean, this is a bring to light valky deck so hitting five mana you have some like really terrifying things that you can do either casting niv mizzet or casting bring to light to get uh tybalt into play and with the 
playset of Sylvan Karyatids. You can do that as early as turn four and also three growth spirals. So it's like very invested in trying to do one of its gigantic things a turn early and pretty focused on that. This is not a Yorion deck. It's just a 60 card deck and it's interaction, Niv-Mizzet, bring to light for Valky and a few other key things and definitely powerful at going over the top of board-based decks like Rakdos. One of the things I like about the new versions of Niv-Mizzet that Claudio's brought in here well, one spicier than the other, but uh, lay, the leyline binding. Yes, very they're important. Just fantastic. Yeah. One of the worst parts of Mountain Nim is it is when you draw a bunch of interactive multicolored cards, and you like have to work them into your mana curve after they deal with what your the Nim is you just played basically, mm-hmm. uh, which by itself can be challenging sometimes. Six six is huge in this format, which is part of why Children is good. Yeah. But having all of your multicolored cards costs so much mana is not where you want to be when you're trying to like do a thing and deploy a threat but leyline binding is perfect at that because it's very commonly just a single mana yeah with the triumphs and stuff it is and, and very easy to fit it in with like two a two mana multicolored spell a three mana multicolored spell and then a leyline binding the turn after you cast a niv mizzet and that's just a gigantic turn uh the other thing is this cool little selfless glyph, glyph weaver yeah card, i think that's which is awesome interaction with bring delight so if you don't know what selfless glyph weaver is I don't. Who would it. not know what Selfless Glyph Weaver is? This is another of the Strixhaven double-faced cards in the vein of Pestilent Cauldron, where you you have a front face, but it's kind of just there. Uh, in this case, it's a three mana two three. That's kind of like a Selfless Spirit. Uh, the backside though is an eight mana black sorcery. Uh, so first off, you can't get this with Nivisit, even though it's a kind of a white black card. It's only a white card on the front face, right. so it's only for Bring Delight. And you bring the light into Selfless Glyph Weaver, then you cast the backside, which is Deadly Vanity. So an 8-mana sorcery, choose a creature Planeswalker, destroy all other creatures and Planeswalkers. It's a Wrath. Yeah. A really good Wrath. And in particular, I think it's a really good Wrath against Mono Green. That's like your main plan in that matchup is getting a Deadly Vanity off at some point in the game before you die. Yeah, especially since it allows you to keep a creature too. So when they redeploy, it's harder for them to deploy a Planeswalker. And Cavalier of Thorns is really good at blocking, but does not punch up to Niv-Mizzet. <laughs> yes, yeah. If you cast this while you have a Niv-Mizzet on the board, then they're just behind and the, the green deck isn't really able to keep up with that. Even if you don't have anything, like you get to kill everything and leave them with a Llanowar Elves or something, and that's not not that bad for you. Well, you'll probably have a self-and-carry type. <laughs> Hopefully. You, you definitely <laughs> should. But even worst case, uh, you know, you can mess them up pretty bad with this card. I don't know. They're like, I had not thought about Niv-Mizzet at all, but in a format dominated by Rakdos, like, it just makes sense. I I, I feel kind of dumb for not even just, like, thinking, like, what if we did Niv-Mizzet now that we have Triomes and Leyline Bindings? I, I, I feel like I should have thought about that. Yeah, it's something I don't think about because I, I view Niv as more of a mid metagame deck. Like, it's it has very clear weaknesses mm-hmm. and eventually the format if people just start playing niv more and more other decks will rise up to just crush it right <laughs> and it's not like you can't do a whole lot to finagle your way out of that sort of thing because your deck does have caps yeah you're certainly never beating lotus field like sure yeah there are significant drawbacks to i have a five color mana base a lot of my spells are you know two and three mana multicolored spells like there's definitely costs here but 
if you know that a huge number of your matchups are just engaging on this like one for one removal spell axis they play a threat you play a removal spell you play something they play a removal spell and then you play a creature that draws several cards or you play bring to light for tybalt you can break that dichotomy really in a really powerful way yeah i which is why i think claudio is so smart for doing it this weekend yeah and i don't know if it'll i don't think dave twight's ever going to be like the final evolution of the format i remember when it was really good in modern for like one or two weeks Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, this is so good. It's just like the best mid-range deck. And it's like pretty clearly has caps. <laughs> yeah. Treasure Cruising, also very good generally against the the Niv Delight decks. Yeah, against Nivas. But yeah. there's so few Treasure Cruises going around right now that I, I think this is a, a solid window for a deck like this. Yeah. It's a really smart metagame call. Another thing that I do want to note that's just showing up, showing up a little bit more and more, and also my experience playing Pioneer lately I think Bant Spirits is like just good. I've been impressed playing against it. It is showing up more in, you know, con- consistently showing up in these top eights. There are several copies in this top 32. Like definitely the mana is bad. But when I've played against it, their mana has worked. And it's just been like, oh yeah, that card's a problem. That card's a problem. That card's a problem. And also they might draw Collected Company at any point in the game. So the deck has been impressive to me. And my question of like, can this deck beat Rakdos? Yeah, it can mess Rakdos up pretty badly. So I I also like the decks a lot more now that they are just pile of creature collector company decks. Yeah, and all the like lofty denials and stuff like that are just in the sideboard. Yeah, just be a Lord's deck, and your your interaction is Spellqueller and Mausoleum Wanderer and Skyclave. Sky yeah. But it's all on bodies, which when you have the Lords that you have is good enough. Yeah, I think the decks fine it it just wins too much to dismiss it anymore and yeah it's not just one person every time <laughs> yeah right it is no longer just our turret kiss it is uh, a number of people and uh, i think this deck is worth respecting and worth learning how to play against it's it's good mono green still a couple of top eight appearances blue white control a top eight appearance but again like blue white control just keeps doing this thing where it like puts one in the top eight and like barely has any more in the top 32 it's not a deck with a presence it's just a deck that like somebody does well each tournament is kind of the the way that blue white control seems to work in this format although i suppose the only decks really with a consistent presence are rectos and mono green those are the only ones you can count on to show up and band spirits honestly yeah that's it it's really like climbing up there just in representation but yeah there, there's definitely a, a representation slant in pioneer mm-hmm. that skews heavily towards those two decks yeah for sure grease fang making its second top eight appearance on saturday also top eighting on sunday i played a little bit of this and i am more into the you know asika's chariot actually does solo more games than i thought it would and Mm. it's just it can be a plan b all on its own and the density of decent targets to grease fang back in the abzan deck like i think that this is just the way to to build it like you know stuff like that orzov build we were talking about a week or two ago are neat but the abzan deck does just provide a level of consistency that i don't think has shown up it just digs way deeper grizzly salvage goes so so many cards into the deck and i definitely do think generally though that grease fang has a problem with karn that's like not solvable so i i struggle to 
justify playing a deck like this in a larger tournament. Yeah, and I, this is one of the decks I think that can do well if Nimbusin starts doing better. Yeah, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, and they people are trying to iterate on Greasefang, like on the Sunday challenge. A happy Sandwich was playing Eldritch Evolutions, mm-hmm. which is a card I haven't seen before in these type of decks, or at least not in a very long time. Uh, and it's just more consistent ways to get Greasefang into play. Yeah. Because you're just trying to dump most of your deck into your graveyard and then hope you have a Greasefang in your hand. Right. And and Eldritch Evolution also lets you run Stitcher Supplier, which is a kind of neat addition to the deck. Uh, and Stitcher Supplier are a lot better at digging than Seder Wayfinder. Yes. Well, as long as you can make it die somehow, which... You know, creatures block in this format. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. even playing against the most popular deck, Rakdos Midrange, they're just going to attack you. So, yeah. you know, how else are that's they gonna, how they win. <laughs> how else are they going to drain your life with their graveyard trespassers? Well, I think people are moving away from that more and more once uh, Edgar started posting his list. You still see them, but I respect more the lack of trespassers. Yeah, I mean, so there is definitely a split. In the way these decks are built, the Edgar version is uh, play four of of the good three drops, which are Liliana, Bonecrusher Giant, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. But we do still see plenty of graveyard trespassers. You know, Misplaced Ginger won the Sunday challenge with Rakdos with four graveyard trespassers in his deck. So I don't think the, the jury is... You know, the jury's still out on exactly how to compose your deck. There's there's a playset of Graveyard Trespassers in a lot of these lists. But the jury has settled that uh, Shieldred is significantly better than Kalidus. Yeah, we're not seeing Kalidus in these main decks anymore. Except so for at least your Stitcher Supplier will trigger. <laughs> yes, that's true. I do think we are moving to a place where the Rakdos Mirror is like the thing you have to be teching for when you're playing Rakdos. If you are not better at winning Rakdos matchups than your opponents are, then you're in a bad spot. If your your Rakdos matchup is like 45% because you're teching for mono green and your opponents are just like trying to beat you, you're you're losing out on a lot of what this deck can can carry you to. And so I think Graveyard Trespasser is a big part of that because Kroxa is so important in the mirror. And so limiting your opponent's graveyard options with Graveyard Trespasser is a pretty big way of giving yourself ways to leverage resources and close out games with Kroxa. That's just so important that I think that's the impetus behind bringing the Graveyard Trespassers back in. I mean, is it worth figuring out a threat that isn't Kroxa? Because if people just do that, Graveyard Trespasser does is weaker on the battlefield than the other cards. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's just really tough because there's no way for these games to play out that aren't just trading resources, trading resources, trading resources. And Kroxa just like thrives off of that in the way that no other magic card you can play does. Yeah, I I get it. It's just, you know, I see cards like Go Blank and Graveyard. uh, What's it called? The Hearse. Mm -hmm. Unlicensed Hearse that you would want to play against Kroxas. And it just makes Kroxas so hard to get out. Oh, yeah. But I'm, I mean, I'm talking about game one. Like, oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, okay. yeah. For, for sure. Like, you know, it, it is not as definitely not as important in the sideboard games. But in game one, when you have two Croxas and you have Graveyard Trespassers and they have two Croxas and Bonecrusher Giants, Liliana's Fables, like, I think you're like pretty reasonably favored because it's just going to be the thing. Um, You know, you have two ways to win, which is kind of like 
tempoing them out or ending an attrition game with Kroxa, they are left with, I gotta like win most of these turns and kill you before it's a Kroxa game. And you know, that, that is constricting on their options. Okay. Still. I, again, it's like what I said at the beginning of the season. I think the evolution of the Rakdos sideboards is really what's key. Here. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because you're just playing the best card you got already. Like, Shrieldred was a good pickup, for sure. Right. Liliana, too. But now we're just, you know, iterating sideboard slots. Yeah, but I mean, like, it, it is funny because, you know, we were looking at this deck before Dominary United, and it's like, yeah, it's just playing good cards in all of its slots. And then it gets an incredible three and an incredible four. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't, didn't really realize this deck could get better, but it just did. And... We're seeing that in the numbers uh, mentioned briefly earlier, but five slots in the top eight of its 11 slots in the top 32 on Sunday, just absolutely crushing performance in the second challenge this weekend. The only other decks in the top eight, one copy of Blue Eye Control, one copy of Grease Fang, and then does bear mentioning a, a Bushwhacker version of the aggro deck in the top eight these have been popping up more and more and i think they are pretty reasonable and in particular an innovation in aggressive decks that makes sense when most of the decks are playing like kind of clunkyish point removal as their ways to extend the game and, and stay in it uh if you're playing dread Boar and your opponent's just like playing one mana creatures into bushwhackers then that's not always the best spot to be in yeah and there's no you know, like rending Valdies or whatever to keep these things in check. You're not extinction advantage, you're sweeper, basically. It's just way too slow. Right, right. You're, nobody's quite building to beat these decks. And like, you know, one of your main plans against them as a Rakdos deck, just like random aggro decks, is just land a Kalidus and Fatal push something that turn. And uh, Shieldred, very good, but certainly worse in this specific type of game. Mm-hmm. Does a, Tar a Tarkus command does prevent life gain, right? And yeah, it does do that. Yeah, I, that card is a lot of modes, and usually it's just three damage plus one plus one. So yes, yeah. But these decks are basically mono red and really just generally just splashing green for a Tarkus command. Although this second place list on Sunday is including Yavamaya Iconoclast, <laughs> uh, which is a Dominary United uncommon, which is kind of fine. You know, you can cast it off of your burning tree emissary when you kick it it is a 4-3 haste it does have trample for when it's pumped it's like fine you, you do wish it were a red card but whatever yeah it's kind of weird but you know so be it <laughs> i mean clearly like the twos are you know carry zev is like barely at pioneer power level just because your two drop is so your two drop slot is like really kind of reaching um and it at you know, it does make a second body for your Atarka's command pump and stuff like that. But there is definitely something to this Bushwhacker way of building the aggro decks, uh, especially if the removal is clunky and point removal rather than good cheap sweepers. Out of curiosity, you can keep talking, but out of curiosity, I'm going through a Twitch vod of the person who got second in this uh, mm -hmm. event just to see the deck lists because they said they updated it. Uh, and I'm curious to see if the iconoclasts made a uh, <laughs> a resurgence. So it looks like oh oh, there's still iconoclasts in this. I found it. Ah, great. Just like minor number tweaks. It looks like one iconoclast survived the cut. Ah, uh, yeah, that, that's all I've got to say about that one. But other than that, 
nothing too crazy here. The only is a deck that showed up this weekend is a deck that its two threats are a playset of Crackling Drakes and a playset of Thing in the Ice. So I guess kind of <laughs> mid-rangey version, not playing Phoenixes, not relying on the graveyard past Treasure Cruise. There were a couple of Hullbreaker horror-based creativity decks, which is, you know, it's really just an is it control deck using Indomitable Creativity as like a cheaper finisher, you know, nothing too fancy, although you do have to have the token the treasure generation to make it work but it's basically the same thing as the the ones that get world's power and it goes except for you just hole breaking yeah like the cards the, the mana base the cards are the same yeah and i mean i i kind of like this because you you know big score whether or not you have indomitable creativity or you just drew the hole breaker horror it helps you get hole breaker horror in play so you know it's like fine but it also was something that it, it's just not the most powerful thing i just generally don't like Decks, I don't think they're stable enough. Yeah. The way this whole breaker version is constructed. Like, I did like the Xenagos one mm -hmm. because if you did it just your thing, you Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to play basically the same deck, except for I can no longer win. Yeah. My opponent's just not ready or, or their shields are down or whatever. I'm just like whole breaker whoring and then I have to keep playing the game. I'm just not interested in doing that. Yeah. Kind of wild. Even if my like plan B is better. Omen of the Sea in the deck. Ooh. I don't I don't really understand that. I don't know. Card selection. It's just I don't know why it isn't impulse, but Yeah. We're not even your yawning. No, we're not. <laughs> it's just a little, a little pricey. Anyways. Um yeah, I don't really have anything else super notable to talk about here. Yeah, so summary is is Rakdos good? Rakdos is pretty good. Yep. <laughs> you know. Sunrises in the east yep uh, i don't think anything is going to change about the is rectos good that the answer to the question is rectos good is going to remain yes for the foreseeable future and then you know a few weeks before the rc dominate or brothers four comes out and everyone scrambles for cards that they're just going to jam in their deck and play <laughs> hoping that it's good <laughs> yeah and probably you can just play like relatively stock rectos and it'll be fine so yep Anyway, shall we talk about tournament prep? Yeah, let's let's talk about tournament prep. All right, where do where do you want to start? So, I, just as an overview, RCQ season one is over. Kind of. There are some weird straggler tournaments on Magic Online that qualify for you for Atlanta this weekend, but according to Watsi's official page and rules, RCQ season one ends. On October 1st and that's when RCQ season 2 starts October 1st is this Saturday uh, the format for that RC is standard and the location is unknown <laughs> <laughs> we just don't have information about RC2 yeah which isn't necessarily like a Watsi thing that's a, a dream hack thing I guess but... I'm willing to like blame Watsi in some part uh, for sure. allowing this to happen <laughs> but yes we know it's standard and stores have started posting their uh, tournaments for you know this is the date we're going to set it this is the font we're going to do it and so you can expect it to be you know one of four formats uh, you got sealed draft standard because it matches the format of the rc pioneer and modern i i expect most of the tournaments to be like unlike last season where pioneer was a reasonable choice 
because it's the format of the RC. It's an arch normal format. People have cards for people play it. I don't think standard will be nearly as accepted as an RC format or an RCQ format. Mm-hmm. Mostly because stores need these tournaments to draw people in and buy things. And standard just does that worse than every other format. So this tournament prep is not going to focus a lot on standard. I will speak about it just a smidgen, but mostly it's going to be generic stuff and then stuff specific to Pioneer and Modern and Draft. Yeah. Because format's just the first part you should look at when you're preparing for tournament, obviously. You should be aware of the format of the tournament you're going to play in, yes. The only way you're not aware is if someone invites you, you know, the day before and you don't know what format it is. You haven't prepared because... You know, you haven't done your research and it's really hard to find events. I get it. But typically you want some time. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Sealed and Draft first because I think it's the simplest. Sure. Uh, Unfortunately, in my opinion, Sealed is garbage. It's just not that good. And that's kind of the case, period. Just across every set. I I do think that Sealed gets a worse rap than it necessarily deserves but i have also playing sealed of the last couple of times i've had to play it the sets did not lend themselves to sealed unfortunately i have no idea i haven't played any dominary united sealed although i bet dominary united sealed is actually kind of interesting i so i like sealed in that it is a limited game format i think those are generally good but in comparison to draft, I think it is yeah, of course. always worse. Yeah. It, the Most of the time, the limited RCQs, I mean all the time, it's going to be sealed for the Swiss and then the top eight drafts. So you should practice sealed, you know, theoretically, but it's expensive and hard to do that unless you want to <laughs> grind leagues all the time. Yeah. And there's no real way to test sealed except for just playing it a ton. And that's frequently infeasible. So there's like a couple things you can do, I think. Uh, you can test it pretty easily with just one other person. You could generate card packs online and just build sealed pools and play games. Mm-hmm. That's pretty easy, especially if you have a dedicated testing partner. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots and lots of Magic Web pa- pages out there that will let you generate a booster pack uh, that's somewhat collated to a real set. Then that's good enough. Mostly what you want to do. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, when you do that, one really good thing to do, especially if you're doing it with a partner, is to build each, each other's, other's pools. pools. So, you know, you each open a pool, you build decks, you play them against each other, and then you like swap pools and do the same thing, however you want to do it. But don't just be the only person to look at this pool and try to build a deck out of it. See what other people identify from it. Yeah, I mean, if you have a larger testing group, like four people. Mm hmm. Uh, I would even like to have multiple people build the pool before you play the games Mm -hmm. just to see how people's opinions change before and after you play games. Yeah. Uh, But typically when I play games of sealed, I'm really looking for like the cadence of games, which just happens with limited gameplay in general. But in sealed, it's got a much different feel than when you play out games of draft. Like when you do draft, your plans are more focused. You don't have to do weird stuff as often. And with sealed, people open a lot more packs, so you get a lot more rares added into the equation. You kind of just have to figure out how those work. Mm -hmm. So you get to play a lot more games against higher rarity cards, including uncommons. And you just kind of have to know how to play games when the rarity level is higher. 
and that's kind of it it's just a bunch of practice just games <laughs> yeah and i mean th there are some like consistently true things about playing sealed that you can use like if you've played if you've drafted the format enough and then you just need to adjust to playing sealed well you know cancels are a little bit better because there will be more bombs and games will be longer etc etc your disenchants are things that you need to pay more attention to and may encourage you to play a color that can sideboard in some disenchants because sometimes like enchantments and artifacts are at higher rarities and are very good and, and they're you know just you're, you're not going to be as good at constructing synergies so things like oh this tokens deck with this sacrifice sub theme that makes like these specific cards good those cards are going to be less good in a sealed environment and you know that's just generally the case i don't have specific advice for dmu seal because i haven't played any but these are not rare differences yeah and i and cards like broken wings mm -hmm. i made that a lot more in sealed mm -hmm. that is a plummet it can also be a disenchant it's like every set nowadays i think it was introduced in new Covenant and on yeah. united <laughs> yeah yeah exactly because like a lot of times a lot of the cards in a sealed game are like not super relevant because you get into a standoff or they trade off they're all like medium power but then people's rares are some big dragon with flying or some sort of weird card advantage artifact or enchantment or something like that and being able to deal with different card types can be really valuable in an environment like that i also put an overlook step in my notes which is just know the card <laughs> like literally know all the cards in the set i can't tell you how many times People have told me bad beat stories about losing to an unplayable com uncommon or common because they just didn't know it existed. Sure. And there's a really easy way to avoid that, which is knowing the cards exist. <laughs> like you may not play around them all the time and you probably shouldn't. But when you know what the cards are, and this sounds so stupid, I know. But literally, if you just know what all the cards are and you know your opponent's playing weird, you will start to figure out why. Yes. And you're just like, oh. They have this card that never sees play, but it doesn't make sense for them to be playing this way unless they have this card. Why Why are they attacking here when I'm going to win this race? Oh, well, they're black and they're red and there's a threat, a big threat in this. That stuff will kind of soak into your brain after you play some games of the format. And it doesn't matter how good or how bad you think the card is. Right. If it's weird, they can play it and it looks like they're playing it. They probably have it and you should just be aware of that. You can't just put blinders on yourself basically yeah uh the more you play of this format in draft the more you get a feel for when your opponent actually has essence scatter and when they're like bluffing it and that's that's a a niche skill that is tough to develop and i don't think there's anything you can do specifically to develop it but you do kind of like get better at it over time and finally for draft uh, i guess this is draft more draft specific we did a, our whole last episode uh, after the pioneer stuff i guess was uh draft focus so you can go back and listen to that if you want draft specific tips as we understood them last week or ccr understood them uh and also but, listen to sam black's podcast like if yes. you're if you're about to go do a, you know an rcq of this limited is that format, still called drafting archetypes yes he will teach you how to value things for each specific deck better than anybody else can so but but i will say that in draft you don't really need to like i said in sealed you just need to play a bunch of games to try and get a feel of it 
Uh, in draft, you don't have to draft like all of the decks or all the archetypes or anything. You really just have to kind of figure out your comfort stuff. And that has to be a range of things. You can't just, you know, I'm always going to draft blue or in fact, no matter what, for instance, <laughs> like you, you can't hard force a thing. Yeah. But you should be able to draft a couple of different things or a few different things, no matter how the packs come your way. And you should know how to play against all of the decks with all the decks you're comfortable drafting. I think that's just the baseline you should be able to do. Yep. Makes sense. Do you have anything to add? I definitely don't find preparing for the draft part of... Uh, yeah, it's you, not important. I, I don't find it... And I also don't find it challenging because all I want to do is draft anyways. <laughs> so, you know, like knocking out 25, 30, 35 drafts is like just what I want to spend my time doing. Which I guess is a good thing to note. Like drafting is way more fun than sealed. And if your tournament's sealed, you think you can get away by just drafting a bunch. And you can kind of. It's still limited, but it's not going to be the same. It really is not going to be the same. I have definitely basically breathed a sigh of relief every single time i have made the top eight of a sealed tournament with a draft top eight it's just like well got pretty lucky to be here but now i feel comfortable is is how every single one of those tournaments has gone for me i every single limited tournament i've ever played that i've top eighted which has actually been quite a few of them i have played very few games of sealed and just skated on pure limited game knowledge mm-hmm and just been happy to get to the draft yeah. so we can say like yeah do do some focus sealed prep and if you have time and if you have the resources then absolutely but definitely i i accept and process that it's just tough to do that and you may not be able to if i, I would say if you just are playing a bunch of drafts and you're not going to get a interest games of sealed in i i understand it uh the things you want to be doing is really processing the game states and seeing how, especially when you're playing against rares or uncommons, because those will happen more often in sealed, mm-hmm. uh, how you play into those and how the opponent's playing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Which moves us to constructive. <laughs> I've got this section divided into you know a couple different ways. Just you know, constructed format agnostic. You're just playing a constructed tournament. Yeah. Play games of the format. That's so so simple. But I felt like I had to write it down. <laughs> The, all the theory craft in the world does not actually replace games played. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't. Nope. Ideally, you should play as many decks as you can to get it like a feel for the format. If you've never played it before, or you're new to it, or if it you haven't touched it in a while, you should play a bunch of the different decks, like you're doing for Pioneer, right? You need yep. to get a feel for the format. You play a bunch of the different decks, especially even if you don't plan on playing a specific deck like if you know for sure you're not going to play banned spirits and pioneer but you think other people will play it you should play it in practice so that you get a feel for how the deck functions performs and the motions are just going through and playing games with a deck internalizes the way turns for that deck works Uh, so when you're playing against it you hear your opponent you know plays a turn two card and doesn't play something on turn three you know what their hand is because mm-hmm. you've played the range of games where if they had these cards they would have played it already yeah and that's really valuable knowledge yeah for sure and and right there's no way to get that without just playing those turns of those games a bunch of times until you kind of like got them 
imprinted on you. I will say it is tough to do this because we don't have like single format seasons anymore. And if you mm-hmm. look at your RCQ schedule and it's like, boy, there is one standard one, one sealed one, and then a couple of moderns and a couple of pioneers. So you do need to kind of like figure out what your focus is going to be. And I know we're going to go into specific formats in a little bit, but this is just an example. All of my work right now, because I am qualified for the regionals, which is Pioneer, all of my work right now is really on like opening up and understanding Pioneer. That's where the focus of my testing is going to be. And even if it weren't, as long as I had a decent number of Pioneer RCQs this season, I would be mostly focusing on Pioneer and spending my time playing those games just because I can only spend so much time concentrating on magic and i'm just i i can't go super deep into multiple formats at a time and i do feel like modern is progressing relatively slowly and so my knowledge of that format becomes stale less quickly and i can kind of get by with my mastery of like two decks in that format and just pick the one that i think is going to be my best shot any given weekend and not have to like go as deep on the format and it's just like a triage kind of thing you can't be perfect at every single format when you have multiple formats going on at a time i think it's important to pick your focus just generally speaking Mm -hmm. because if you stretch yourself too thin you're not going to really do anything anywhere yeah so it is ideal to plot out your season uh as best you can. I know it's really difficult to find events and the schedule and stuff like that. And that that is the hard thing is I can't even go look at I can't plan out my RCQ season and see exactly like, oh, yeah, there's there's I'm going to go to these four pioneer tournaments and these two modern tournaments. So I know what to focus like that just like can't. Ha- but do the best that you can with the resources you have. Yeah, it's it's just a it, like endemic flaw in the system right now. Mm-hmm may hopefully maybe it gets fixed i kind of doubt it but it's just what it is right now yeah uh when when you're back to you know playing games yeah i like focusing on sideboarded games more than mainboarded games Mm -hmm. because those get solved very quickly and it's more important to in my opinion focus on sideboarding plans and how you play from either back foot or forefoot, foot depending on you know winning or losing the first game Mm -hmm. Uh, and one thing I really like doing is when you're playing with someone, you should be playing with people you respect, right? Just asking, just flopping your sideboard down on the table and be like, how would you sideboard in this matchup? Just because they're playing the deck you're sideboarding against and they know what's good against them. And, you know, even if you do know, it's good to hear someone say it and from their perspective. Yeah. It's kind of like the same reason why I advise people to play as many decks as they can from the driver's seat, just so you get a feel of what that deck's afraid of and how it plays and stuff like that. It's the same thing of asking your opponent how they decide board. Yeah. I do this in tournaments too, occasionally just, I was going to say that is, you know, not everyone has a dedicated testing group or most people don't have a dedicated testing group or even friends that can meet regularly to do this. But if you have a store where, you know, some decent players show up, go to whatever their weekly tournament is, whether it's even if it's just Friday Night Magic, but ideally something a little more competitive in the formats that you need to prepare for, getting the games in will be helpful. Shuffling up your paper cards and playing with a timer against somebody who's trying to beat you will be helpful. And also playing against people and then being able to say, okay, how would you have sideboarded or what would you have done in this spot? 
also some of these people that you play against at those tournaments, like you will play against at RCQs or if you are not super connected with your community yet, you may drive with them to RCQs. So it's good to go to your store and, and get some games in. What One note I have here also is that I don't, me personally, I'm not really a brewer. I look at a lot of deck lists and I will usually start from someone else's stuff and work with it. But if I'm literally tr just trying to get first place in it, these RCQs are winner takes all, mm -hmm. period. Uh, I, I wouldn't try to be playing a brew. Yeah. I would just play something established, something good, something hundreds of people on Magic Line have put work in. Because I am one person, or you are one person. It's really hard to beat the combined might of all the MTGO players. <laughs> yeah. And especially for an RCQ, generally the best deck in the format is the one that's most likely to win the turn. Like, that's just how it... Like, Four Color won so many RCQs this past season. In Modern, you're really just supposed to be playing, like, Four Color or Murktide or Living End. Or, you know, there's only a handful of decks that I think is, like, defensible to play if you're trying to win the RCQ. And there's no need to get fancy. You don't need to break it. You don't need to do something surprising. You just need to do something powerful and consistent that you know you can show up and play well at and that's it it doesn't take anything extraordinary to win an rcq it just takes something good yeah you're not trying to break the format you're just trying to win a tournament yeah yeah <laughs> you don't need to do one to do the other right and and you're gonna hurt yourself a lot more at the rcq level like week to week trying to like do something incredible that nobody has ever seen than just like casting omnath or casting murktide regent or casting a cascade spell here's one crusher giant it's boring but you know it does the work yep. here's fable of the mirror breaker and pioneer like almost certainly rakdos is going to win this tournament it might as well be me playing rakdos winning this tournament yeah exactly uh, also as a last format agnostic note write down your sideboard plans mm -hmm. like I don't, I don't care if you're pro sideboard notes in the middle of games or against it uh, I, it doesn't matter to me like I you just need to physically write down what you plan to do in each matchup I think it's really really good to just put your concrete plans down to paper even if you just throw away the paper you've at least thought about it yes which is all that really matters yeah uh, I, I don't use a sideboard guide in between games when I play tournaments be, but I always will write down my plans and have a rough idea of what I want to do and what cards are bad or good. And then while I'm in the tournament, I don't have that paper with me just so I can, uh, it's like, I'm not saying you can't, if you're, if that's what you're comfortable with, do it. But I like forcing myself to think about what my opponent has done and played so that I could sideboard accordingly. But I have that framework from previous, the previous day or whatever in mind. I, I do have them listed out, but generally just like these are the cuts in the matchup. These are the ads without like specific numbers necessarily, just like a reminder of what my post board strategy in that matchup is supposed to be. But I just like having a little reminder, but absolutely writing down your plan because you don't have remember, you don't have sideboard cards, right? You have sideboard plans and it, it doesn't do you any good to, you know, one of one of the big examples of this is like. The mystical disputes in living end sideboards. Oh yeah, this card's great. It's a counterspell that you can't cascade into and you really want to fight through counterspells. And so living end sideboards started out with like a bunch of mystical disputes in it. 
But then you realize as you're sideboarding, it's like, okay, well, in every matchup where I want mystical disputes, I also want all of my force of negations and all of my griefs. So what am I cutting for these mystical disputes? They're literally never coming in. And then you realize like, oh, I just put those mystical disputes in my board as cards, but not as part of plans. And writing down your plans helps you get rid of your sideboard cards in favor of cohesive plans that make sense for you. Yeah, every time I have skipped the step of like writing down what my plan is and sideboarding, my sideboard has been god awful. And there's like a card I never use, or sometimes like four cards I never use. Yeah, it's just atrocious. Or sometimes, uh, last tournament I played, I just cut a card from the sideboard because I just wanted it to ruin and just you know didn't have games or anything, so I just thought it was fine. And every single match I played, I wanted that sideboard, <laughs> <laughs> and I just didn't realize its value. How yeah, how often it was coming in, and if you had written down all of your plans then yeah anything you want to add before we jump over to standard just really want to emphasize in bigger tournaments yeah okay get together with your friends and try to break it rcqs play the best deck or one of the you know top three decks or whatever and if you're not playing one of the decks that is consistently top eating magic online tournaments and winning other rcqs like i think you're making a mistake no matter how good you think the deck is no matter how badly you think you've broken the format you're just not increase you're, you're not giving yourself the best percentage there so standard i'm gonna start with standard first because i think it's the one i have the least to talk about <laughs> uh the reason for that is that standard is a, not a dead format but it's certainly not flourishing <laughs> uh rcqs are paper mostly they're not on arena at all which is where most standard is played <laughs> so i don't expect there's going to be a lot of rcqs on the calendar that are standard for most people. That, that's like good and bad. Uh, it's bad because no one's gonna know what the decks are. It's gonna be hard to find deck lists and stuff like that. You're just gonna have to rely on the scant online results you can find or fire shoes as Twitter. That's where my standard research starts and kind of stops uh-huh. at this point in time. That said, I think if you're trying to win at a standard RCQ or an RCQ, the standard ones are the easiest ones to win because no one's going to have games of standard. (laughs) It's just people will show up with whatever standard idea, like, like honestly, like you would just whatever idea of standard you have in your mind. And you're just going to have to play games of magic. And if you are capable of winning an RCQ, I think that's where you get your edge is just playing games of magic better than opponents on an equal footing. And I believe standard, like no one's really going to have more than 10 or 20 games of standard over their belt when they're playing a standard RCQ. Yeah. They would have to grind endless amounts of Magic Arena, which is not fantastic testing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Also, even this may vary depending on area, but I know around here, if one of the stores puts on a standard RCQ, it will just get significantly fewer players. Yes. And that's less just because ugh, standard, I don't want to play standard. I think a big part of it is like, if I'm going to go play a standard RCQ, I need to spend $500 on cards to build a deck. And so that that really lowers my expected value of the RCQ. And so even I, who am pretty dialed in and pretty into just playing whatever RCQ shows up, like I have to think twice about going to a standard RCQ when I just don't have the cards for it. And it's also a combination of scheduling to and card availability there because like you know wedding announcement is a really good card in standard it's like a five dollar card 
It's not expensive. Right. But how do you get one? Yeah. Like, do next day shipping on an online retailer? That's that's going to be pricey. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to hope someone has them or you have a robust standard network, in which case your chances of winning the RCQ like go down, right? Yeah. So it's a weird balance. But I do think like standard RCQs are a good chance to try to spike as long as you have the cards for it. Yep. Pioneer. Uh, and this is all format specific. So in Pioneer, I don't think you should play anything other than Monogreen or Rakdos. Yeah. I, it's just we've been doing episodes for almost a month now, just reviewing all the Pioneer challenges. And in every single tournament, the results of those two decks, or at least the numbers of those two decks, eclipse all the other decks. Mm-hmm. They just are better than the rest. Yep. I do not believe if you're trying to win a Pioneer RCQ, as the format stands right now, today, September 27th, <laughs> 2022, you should not, you should be playing Monogreen or Rakdos. Yeah. Period. Yep. 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 I know there are innovations to be done beyond today. Jesse just did well with Mono White. You, as you said earlier, uh, Claudio just won a tournament with Invisit. I think these are both reasonable options. If they're more your style of deck, go for it. But if you are playing a bunch of Pioneer RCQs and you want a consistent deck for the season and you want to win one, you should play one of those two decks. I agree completely. I just don't think it is worth your weekend to be doing something innovative, trying to break the... I think you're just better off getting... Not only are you better off just like playing one of the couple of best decks, but your time is best spent getting very good with one of those decks. I picked up Rakdos. I played a couple of leagues with it. At some point, the mirror kind of clicked a little bit for me and I started just like understanding how to sequence my games better. And just doing that, I felt way more comfortable in the Rakdos mirrors and was beating people more. And that's going to help your win percentage more than almost anything else is playing the best deck, knowing how to play the mirrors, knowing how to play against the other best deck. And unless you kind of like lock it in and say, all right, I'm going to figure out how to play this deck, then... You know, you can't just audible to the best deck with a couple, handful of games played and then expect to win your mirror in the finals. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, again, the format will evolve as time goes on. So, that's this is not always going to be a case. Mm-hmm. And especially if you don't have many Pioneer uh, opportunities, you just like it's not in your interest to, well, it's probably still is in your interest to just play the best deck. But yeah. if you don't, if you particularly like the playstyle of like Mono White or Invisit, for mm-hmm. instance, I already used those examples, and you only have a couple of RCQs and you're you just don't feel like Rakdos or Mono Green is your jam, sure, go for that. That's cool. Just make sure you have practice. We are giving this advice couched in like you're going to this tournament to try to get your qualification. If you're going for other reasons, then, you know, embrace those other reasons. And if you want to play an aggro deck because you love playing or you want to play Teferi Hero of Dominaria because this is the only place you can cast Teferi Hero of Dominaria and win matches, like, yeah, do that. That's totally fine. But for winning the tournament, you know, show up with Rakdos or Mono Green and be good with it. On to modern. (laughs) So this is a weird topic because everyone, everyone already knows what they're doing in modern they have the opinion of the format and Mm. all that stuff like i i'm not really going to change hearts and minds here i don't think in modern there are a million a million good decks 
that have different reasons of playing they'll like hammer goes through cycles of never showing up in a challenge and then having three in the top eight and and have, and one of them won like that's <laughs> decks will just come in and come out yogmoth won both of the challenges this weekend i think uh, i'm not looking at it but i'm yeah if i remember correctly it did win both challenges and like crushed and, at the nrg uh or whatever legacy mod whatever there was a, a paper modern tournament that people were playing and it like destroyed in that tournament too and the deck lists were not different than what they had been. Mm-hmm. They were just Yawgmoth deck lists that did show up the week before because that's how big Modern is. There's a lot of good decks. And chances are you already have the Modern deck you're working on playing. That's fine. I think you should... Okay, first of all, you should be making sure you're playing an actual good Modern deck if you're trying to win. <laughs> like, I don't... It, it doesn't bother me if you... Like, in the previous season... Merktide and four color were kind of like the standouts that was what people thought were the best decks for rcq season one uh, and i i still today do not think it was a mistake to play a good deck that was not those two decks mm-hmm. like if you're playing hammer if you're playing living end if you're playing yagmoth you're playing amulet i buy that that was the correct decision for you because you probably have a ton of hours in your deck and those decks are all good with good cards that can win i'm fine with that mm. But you should certainly have practice against everything you expect to play against. You can't just roll up to a modern tournament with a deck that you have played for a long time and know very well and not have played against a good deck before, like a a top deck. Like if you're just missing the four color matchup somehow and and you're playing against it for the first time in RCQ, you've messed up. So many RCQ matches I have played in or have watched have just been decided by somebody not understanding what their opponent was capable of doing to them at any given time. I see Alan win these games where their opponent just doesn't understand that they're dead to Underworld Breach, Lightning Bolt, Lightning Bolt, Lightning Bolt. Like they just don't understand that that's in the range and they don't play accordingly. Or like they might know all of the cards in my hand because they like thought seized me or something like that. But then they don't play around like a small living end to get a grief back. And then that just makes their cards like not work or whatever. Understanding your opponent's ranges and understanding the the plays that your opponent's decks are capable of. It's a skill that a lot of RCQ players are missing. And patching those holes up for yourself is going to give you like huge percentage points in, in these tournaments. Yeah, I agree. And and that said, after just saying you should have played against all the good decks that you would expect to play, mm-hmm. you 100% will, in an RCQ, play against something you've never played before. <laughs> in the last RCQ, the one that you won, right, uh, there was an Enchantress player. Mm-hmm. And Enchantress is not a deck that people play against all that often. So she was, you know... <laughs> Definitely getting edged by just people never playing against her before. Oh, for sure. And you're going to eventually you will find a matchup that you just have not played before and you have to figure out how you're winning from that spot. I actually did exactly what you're talking, what, what we're talking about to myself. And I just like kind of forgot about Blood Moon and got Blood Mooned and lost the game that way. And it was just like, OK, well, got to got to think about that a little more next time. Yeah. And it, you, you just you can't give yourself leeway like while you're in a game if you've never played like for instance if you've never played against enchantress before and you free a blood blood man mm-hmm. you can't just like beat yourself up that you haven't played against enchantress before and you you know you shouldn't have thought about blood man like who would have thought blah 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 this isn't a good matchup or whatever that's just not important it's not relevant right 
when you play against something that you've identified that you just don't know how to play against, you have to figure out what their range is with very little time yeah. and then try to beat it. Like you don't have much, you, you shouldn't have mental room for other things. Right. You got to focus up. Yeah, exactly. For deck choice, I'm just going to say this like briefly. I think Underworld Breach, the grinding station deck, is the best deck in modern right now. It's gotten so much results under its belt in the past few days by very few players. Mm-hmm. People still continually under appreciate, undervalue it uh, online even. It doesn't see very much play. And people still do not know how to play against it. Like it, for the next couple of weeks, I think it is one of the best decks you can play with, of course, the normal modern caveat that you actually have to know how to play it. It is a complicated deck that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. So if you want to play any deck, but that deck too, in particular, you have to make sure you know the range and what you're capable of and how you approach each matchup. Right. Not not complicated on a, like, we're not saying, like, it's complicated to combo or something. It's, you're constantly evaluating what role you're taking and what your next, like, larger strategic decision is going to be. And that's very difficult to be switching between this Raghavan deck and this, like, Urza Saga deck and then this combo deck. It's, it's hard, and I'm very impressed when I watch, you know, the players who are good with it playing it well. And then eventually, you sometimes you realize you're just an Underworld Breach value deck. Yeah. And then you pick it up with Safari at the end of your turn, and you're like, oh my god, I'm the best. I'm so good at this. Build, <laughs> a build your own treasure cruise. Even whoa, way better. Yeah, this is a, get it again. This is a Yogmoth's will with Flashback. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is all I've written down here for, for our little tournament prep section. I uh, didn't go into anything too in-depth because it's kind of sad but true is that just playing games and having intentional practice is going to win you more games. Yeah. And that's, there's kind of no, you know, shortcut or cheats around it. You just have to make time, play games, make sure you're getting useful information from any practice or testing you're doing. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I found myself really struggling to get how to approach playing against four color as a living end. So I sat down with our friend Max and he was a very good four color player And I just like played a bunch from both sides of the matchup and didn't learn a ton of specific like, oh, I need to be doing this. Oh, I need to. But just like getting that kind of innate, intuitive sense of ranges and spots and like which cards are important and what are the things that can be done to me on any particular turn. Uh, And then I just felt much more comfortable instead of being like scared of the black like you know mist of cards in their hand that could be any sort of like any number of terrifying things against me then i just like had a deeper understanding of the range of the likelihood of each of the the things that they could do um and then i just you know didn't have that like feeling in my chest of like oh i'm playing against four color again it was like okay i'm playing against four color again this matchup is hard but i get what to do if they have this i'm gonna lose i know what this hand can and can't beat I wouldn't have gotten there except for sitting down and being like, Max, I need to play against four color. You, you reminded me of something I actually didn't write down, which is, you know, if you don't have a lot of good testing partners around mm-hmm. uh, and you're struggling to like get better at a specific thing, uh, coaching is a really good option. Absolutely. Like, I, I don't think about it a lot because I don't, I'm not really in that place anymore. But if you're trying to win one of these things and you need help, especially for your game, 
it's always a good idea to find a coach and you can hone facets of your game that are specific. Uh, there's a lot of good options out there. I'll shout out Collins Mullen, who's, you know, was a member of this podcast, was on a few weeks ago, is a great friend of both of ours. Uh, I think it's a really hard skill to cultivate where you can explain something well in game terms mm-hmm. and have someone else understand it. And a lot of coaches are really good at that. Uh, like you just were extri- ex- describing how you could you improved in the four color matchup and you didn't know why you just kind of intuited it. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think a lot of different coaches do well is putting the feelings into words. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that there's no, like if you have the time and you have a little bit of money and you want to invest in your ability as a player, like this is the biggest return that you can get and like the fastest route to improvement is find a coach, particularly one who knows the format and maybe even the deck that you're like really struggling on and get that specific coaching in. And I, I think that that can be really helpful. Yeah. So that's what I had. Uh, you got any additional thoughts? I mean, it, on modern, if you have your deck, I think that's okay. Depending yeah. on how much time you have to work on and stuff, it may just not be an option to go get good at Underworld Breach. That's fine. Like, you have to work with the resources you have. And if you are a Merktide play, if you played Merktide all last season and you don't have time to go get good at another deck, keep playing Merktide. That is that is fine. You may just not have the time to become a master of all decks and that is okay but i do think that it is really good to have at least like two or three different go-to modern decks that you can just sort of like figure out which one is probably the best for that weekend and then go and be comfortable with it i mean there's nobody who can just be comfortable with any given modern deck on any given weekend i like i I, you can't just have a bag of 15 modern decks and like pick the best one for the weekend and then be good with it the gap in my skill level with living end versus underworld breach is enough that like i'm just gonna play living end at the next tournament unless i put in a bunch of work you know and and i think that's fair but it's also good to branch out and spend some time improving even if you don't think you'll get there for the next tournament necessarily oh and i'll also point out that kind of like pioneer for modern the metagame shifts like Yagamoth just won everything. So if you're playing an RCQ right after that, you should play some games. You should know how to play against Mm Yagamoth. Like paper moves much more slowly than digital, but there are people who will just pick up whatever deck just won and try to play it. And you should know how to play against them. Yep. And you don't need to go much deeper than that level necessarily. You know, we're we're on level 0.5 or maybe level one, but we're not really going, we're not going any levels deeper than that. Yeah, exactly. Just know how to play against it. You don't have to like tech against it or whatever. Sure. But yeah, I think that's pretty good. I don't have anything else. Well, cool. We're all we're all prepared now. Yeah, we're all ready. We're all gonna go win our RCQs. Very exciting. Yeah. I just need to figure out where they are and when they are. <laughs> There's one this weekend, an hour away. What format? It's modern, modern right? Yeah. Maybe I'll go to that, actually. I don't think I have anything going on this weekend. I'm considering it. I, I haven't decided either way. If you go, then that is very like that will influence my decision well i'll see what the car is doing mm-hmm. like who a car we can get together and then i'll probably just build breach and play it sure thanks so much to everybody for listening we do really really appreciate your time that's it for us go go win an rcq for us this weekend 
And when you do, just tweet, thanks guys, I won my RCQ and we'll be so proud of you. Yes, we will be. You don't even have to say it's like because of the podcast. If, oh, no, if you just no. say I just, won my RCQ and like tag us in a reply to it or something, then we'll just get, you know, we'll be happy that you did. Very happy. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much. Have a great week. All right. Bye everyone. <laughs>